You're listening to Food for the Future on 980CFPL and 980CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. I'm Peggy O'Neill, home economist and host of Food for the Future. Today, we return to the monthly series, City Farming, addressing new ways to think about food in urban settings. This show will discuss planting sheds and other garden structures to get ready for spring. It's my pleasure to introduce to you Chuck Parker, Senior Planner at the City of London. Welcome, Chuck. Thank you, Peggy. Chuck, you work in long-range planning. Why do cities need to look to the future when providing for urban agriculture, which includes newer modifications to existing structures? Yeah, um, urban agriculture has been around in other cities for quite a number of years. Cities like Vancouver and Toronto and Edmonton have been doing it for years. Well, in 2015, the city... uh, actually the urban agriculture community came to us and asked us to come up with some policies and regulations related to urban agriculture in the city of London. Now, urban agriculture is a little bit different than rural agriculture. Urban agriculture occurs within the developed portion of the city within what we call the urban growth boundary. So it's actually agriculture that occurs within a developed area, uh, whereas rural agriculture occurs outside of the urban growth boundary and big farms. So in 2015, the urban agriculture community came to us and said, we want to develop some policies and we, we want the city to help us. So uh, a combination of the urban agriculture community, uh, the city and various agencies involved in urban agriculture got together and we started to put together an urban agriculture strategy. And that was developed and approved by council in November of 2017. And once that was in place, it lays out a bunch of priorities for different uh, areas of of urban agriculture related to growing, processing, uh, distribution, food loss and recovery, and education. So in the initial years, the city concentrated on uh, policies and regulations that relate to the distribution of food, getting food out there as quick as possible to people who need it. And then we slowly uh, went into uh, policy and uh, regulation changes. And the reason urban agriculture is important is so everyone can have access to fresh food. There's also a sustainability issue. Uh, It provides one with more control over the food that they produce and what they eat. It's also close to home. If somebody has a backyard garden, you just go out in the garden and uh, pick some food that you want to eat. It's fairly uh, fairly handy. Uh, it's a community building exercise, and it also makes better use of uh, existing land in the city. If there's a vacant parcel of land and it can be farmed temporarily until development occurs, that's another benefit of, of urban agriculture. So there's a number of reasons why uh, both the community and the city uh, decided to get behind this. Sounds like it. So um, some of the reasons to think to the future when you're coordinating urban agriculture, as you said, which is within the city's limits, um, including what we're talking about today is some of the sheds and structures that may need additional levels of planning is that there's a lot of action to be coordinated. And you had talked about distribution, but also um, right to what are we going to be doing in our backyards? So Mm -hmm. now that the city has gotten behind and worked with the um, urban agriculture group, and other stakeholders, how do um, policies get set for 
buildings that support urban agriculture in backyards. So uh, sheds, or there are other some taller structures for depending on what it is that you want to grow. How do policies get developed for those things? Well, we actually did a, a major policy review last year, and it, what, what uh, initiated it was a request from the London Food Bank, who's located in South London. They wanted to build a greenhouse uh, for growing food. Uh, not only do they uh, distribute canned goods and all kinds of other food, but they also wanted the ability to grow produce and then give, and then give it away as part of their food bank distribution system. So what we did is we went through all of our uh, zoning bylaw and all of our uh, London plan policies and tried to identify those things where we could initiate changes that would lead to better urban agriculture within the city and remove some of the barriers to growing food. So in terms of structures, we, uh, we looked at um, allowing a better opportunity for people to erect greenhouses and also in commercial and industrial areas, allowing people to use uh, shipping containers to grow food in, which is something that's been going on for quite a while in the U.S. and, and in other countries around the world. So we, d we did that amendment last year. We went through all of our regulations and uh, made it a lot easier for, uh, for people to uh, grow food uh, in structures. Okay, so lots of progress there. And to have reviewed all of that last year means that the freshest thinking and the newest ideas are present in policy. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's not just sheds in the backyard. There's bigger projects, like you had mentioned, greenhouses. So for some people, though, Chuck, despite the best efforts of the city and the consultative process, that some people feel bylaws and regulations on what can be built where can seem mm -hmm. arbitrary. But what are some of the principles that guide rules on building construction for things that support growing food at home or urban agriculture? Well, first off, there's the Provincial Ontario Building Code. That, that was established to deal with uh, the construction of buildings, ensuring that there's public health and safety with these buildings, make sure that they're built pr properly and that there's no safety uh, issue. In terms of the uh, London plan, which is our official plan and zoning bylaw Z1, the key there is uh, to try and minimize any impacts on adjoining neighbors. A lot of consideration behind the policies and regulations, as you had mentioned, health and safety uh, consideration for neighbors. And even just when you start talking about putting something up that's a little bit more permanent, like a, like a greenhouse or a shed, then um, just knowing where things are, you know, certain things run under underground that you don't want to be digging for a structure and find something unexpected like a power line or what have you. So it's really a good idea to work with the city if you're putting up a larger facility or can or larger building or contemplating it. And Chuck, where can listeners find out what the rules are? You had said they're, they're new, they've been looked at again, lots of considerations and things have loosened up for people to be able to grow some food in the city, either as a group, um, in some more um, uh, previously uh, industrial areas, but also at home. Where can these rules be found? Well, the, um, I mentioned that the study that we did last year was a major study and it looked at a bunch of different uh, options for growing food, not only on open land, but also within structures. Um, that was our December 17th, 2021 report that went to Planning and Environment Committee. And that can be found on the city's website. And in that report, it goes through all of the uh, official plan uh, changes we made, all of the zoning bylaw regulations we changed, and a lot of the rules are in that 
Also under the zoning bylaw, um, there's regulations in there, uh, section 4.1, it's on accessory structures. And that relates to the buildings and structures that you can put on a property. Uh, you're allowed to have, uh, you take your entire lot area that you have, this is for a, a residential homeowner. You take the entire lot area and you can have up to 10% of that area covered in accessory buildings. So if you don't have a garage and you don't have a shed, then that entire 10% can be used, for instance, for a greenhouse. Uh, through this review that we did, uh, we gave a bonus. If you're building a greenhouse, only 50% uh, of the size of the greenhouse is counted towards your coverage. So it actually doubles up the amount of the size of greenhouse you could normally have under those accessory building regulations. Yes, that's the, that's the rules as they stand right now. And that reports a good, uh, a good uh, location to find all those regulations, or you can actually go on the city website and look under zoning bylaw Z1. I think all the amendments have been uploaded and the, and the bylaws have been changed to reflect those amendments that we made. Okay, so lots of up-to-date information that not only has the city's policies and regs been looked at in the previous year you had said, but there's a report um, published mm -hmm. December, 2021 that you can find on the city's website as well as all of the zoning um, guidelines and bylaws and information is there. The thing about the report, it's educational probably and gives people some context yeah. to why things have been decided or the rationale for various uh, decisions that have been made. And so after reading the rules and regulations, having looked at the report in the city's website, if listeners still aren't sure if their plans may need approval, sometimes we're talking about electrical and other things, it's not just the physical structure, and they may need to fulfill certain stipulations, where and how can they get advice? Uh, the two best places to go is first, first stop should be the zoning division to make sure that it's in a proper location and it's the proper size. Uh, you can contact zoning at their uh, general email. It's uh, zoning at london.ca. And then when you get into the actual building of the structure, you should check with our building division as well to make sure there's no other uh, requirements regarding the building. Mm -hmm. uh, anything over 10 square meters or 108 square feet requires a building permit. And they can be contacted at building at london.ca. Okay, really good advice. So zoning when you're in the planning, just to see how big and, and location that you've got things in the right spot. And then for certain structures, getting a hold of the building division at the city of London, because sometimes there'll be permits and inspections and that kind of thing. So that's really great uh, to know that the city of London is on top of how and where we grow food and uh, provided some great regulations to support us all understanding the best way to move forward with that. Mm -hmm. After the break, we'll talk about garden sheds and other structures when planning for spring with Chuck Parker, Senior Planner at the City of London. This is Food for the Future, and I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, Home Economist. Welcome back to Food for the Future on 980CFPL and 980CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. We're speaking with Chuck Parker from the City of London about garden sheds and other structures as we make plans for spring and a new season of home growing. Chuck, it is difficult to know where to start. And can you give us some examples of garden sheds or greenhouses or other structures that need city approval? Currently, anything over 10 square meters or 108 square feet uh, requires a building permit. Now, anything with plumbing in it, any structure uh, growing of food with plumbing in it, requires a building permit. So 
Uh, that's any size of structure. And if it doesn't have any plumbing and it's under 100 square meters or 108 square feet, then it doesn't need a, a building permit. Anything ex exceeding those numbers does require a building permit. And they oh, should contact their building division with that. If you can't meet the coverage or the setback regulations, then you may need to get a minor variance through the Committee of Adjustment or a zoning bylaw amendment. As I said, to protect the neighbors, there is a setback regulation in the zoning of your property uh, that requires you for any accessory buildings to be set back so far from the property line and the rear and the rear yard line. Uh, in terms of the coverage, as I said, you're you're allowed to uh, cover up to 10% of your lot with structures. If you have to exceed that, then again, there's the possibility of a minor variance if you want to exceed that. And you had mentioned structures that are greater than 10 square meters need uh, a permit, as well as if there's going to be plumbing. What about electrical? You still need a permit and inspection? I, th I think you do, just because okay. it has electrical. Yeah, back yeah. to the safety factor you were talking about. Okay. Yeah. And what are some of the design factors, Chuck, that should be taken into consideration when planning a garden shed or other structure? You've talked a little bit about 10% of your property and some basic dimensions of the structure, but just, uh, I'm sure the city's seen a lot of success stories, but a lot of, oh no, projects would have either ran over time, over money, over budget, um, or in the end, um, having caused difficulties for the, the homeowner who was putting in a garden shed, greenhouse, or other uh, food growing structure. What are some things that should be taken into consideration just in general principles when planning a garden shed or structure? I think the things you should be looking at particularly is uh, the setback from the lot line, uh, making sure that uh, for instance, accessory buildings aren't too close to the lot line. If, if you think about it, when it rains, Sometimes they, some people put these accessory buildings on the lot line and then the, the water runs off the roof and onto a neighbor's property. So that's why the setback is there to make sure that anything as a result of the construction of that building impacts your property and not anybody else's. Uh, the other thing I, I we're concerned about is the use of lights in greenhouses. Now, if you think about it in a residential area, having somebody next to you that has a light on 24-7 is not a good thing. So making sure that if you do have lights that they're uh, these buffered somehow or uh, try not to use them as often as possible, especially in the later late evenings and early morning. And then the size of the structure. I mean, that's covered by the, uh, the zoning of the property big you can make the building but uh, size covering the entire backyard with a with a greenhouse is not appropriate and and uh, could impact your neighbors okay so that makes a lot of sense then it's not just are you an inch or two from your own property line but thinking if there's uh you know potential snowfall you know, if That's the right. roof is going to have, uh, you know, snow slide off it in the colder months or, and you had mentioned rain, which is uh, all season. So definitely thinking about not just where the structure is, but what the products of the structure, or even, I guess, if it was apples, where will the apples fall off of an apple tree, all of those things to be taken into consideration. And mm -hmm. have you seen some particular um, going, you know, more to materials? We've been talking about locations on lots and plumbing and electrical and sizes and whatnot. And are there any um, materials that you have seen um, really perform well or others that didn't really 
um, get the results that either the home grower or the person who was growing food was expecting any, any builders or cities inside tips on like great materials to use for sheds and greenhouses and other devices that really are, um, have a bit of longevity and really functional. I think the, uh, particularly with regard to greenhouses, I think they tend to be translucent, see-through glass. So, you know, as long as you, uh, construct um, the building to not fall down so so as long as it's constructed soundly I think that's the that's the uh, the best thing there are private companies that actually build these things for you if you if you don't want to do it yourself so there's there's lots of various options and they'll all um, having done it uh, likely more than once if they are in the business then they kind of know the ropes with what does mm-hmm. the city want and what about the zoning and some factors and so getting some expert advice which leads me to my next question you maybe answered that before the break but just as a refresher for people who are just joining us now when and how in the design process should home growers or people wanting to grow food in the city get expert advice and help um, there's, there's lots of stuff on the internet about how to build like greenhouses and all that kind of stuff. But if you want to hire a private company to do it for you, or at least build it for you, um, if, if you don't have a lot of knowledge about uh, the process and regulations and all of that, then, then that's one of the options. But um, there are people who actually build their own greenhouses. So it, it, it's, it's flexible. And as I said, be it whether you're a private homeowner or whether you're a company, you still have to check with with our zoning division and our building division to make sure that you uh, comply with the regulations that are in place for, for accessory structures. Okay, so if, if there's any takeaways from the show today is that there's resources available on both the zoning and building guidelines. There's new report out December 2021 and lots of great help in the zoning and building departments at the city. So uh, lots to look forward to with this spring and another growing season for home growers and people, as you had mentioned, many community um, groups are growing food in the city now to help out with food security. And mm-hmm. just before we close the show, uh, Chuck, do you have any final thoughts to share with listeners about planning for garden sheds and other growing structures? Or is there a question I didn't ask that you really feel if we closed the show and didn't address it, we'd be missing out? My final advice would be uh, just be a good neighbor when you're building these structures. Just uh, put yourself in their shoes and and uh, deal with the stuff that that you think that you would be concerned about if you were living next door. Oftentimes you get issues regarding um, used manure in your greenhouse, where it's stored, uh, where dead plants um, and other refuge is stored until you can dispose of it on Green Week. You know, just keeping those things in mind, you know, don't pile it next to your neighbor's fence or that kind of thing. So just be a good neighbor. And the, the final thing I would say is uh, before proceeding and building uh, any of these accessory structures, check with our zoning division and our building division just to make sure, although it may seem like there might not be any issues, just a quick phone call or an email to either one of those groups just to, to verify that there are no issues. That's really, really good advice, Chuck. And sort of, I guess, two takeaways that you had said is be a good neighbor, you know, thinking about whether that's that lighting, if it's a greenhouse that needs light or noise. Sometimes there's motors or devices that are running Mm -hmm. certain equipment and 
um, wanting to be sure noise is uh, a factor that things are not going to fall into your neighbor's yard, whether that's rain or snow or, or anything else. And also just check with the city. There's a whole team there that have a lot of expertise and have seen lots of projects done well and some ones that uh, were learning experiences for everyone. So thank you so much, Chuck, for sharing your expertise today. Okay, thanks, Peggy. You're welcome. Today on the Food for the Future, we've been speaking with Chuck Parker, Senior Planner with the City of London, about garden sheds and other structures as we prepare for a new growing season. Each week, we leave you with something to talk about and something to do. Something to talk about, what food could you grow in your living space? Something to do, go to the City of London's website and search for the Urban Agriculture Strategy and new guidelines to find out more about growing food in our city. Next week on the show, we return to the series Back to the Future. We'll be talking about intergenerational baking with Jenna Shaw, granddaughter and home baker. I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, home economist, and you've been listening to the weekly show, Food for the Future. Thank you to our platinum level sponsors, Burnbrae Farms, Eggs for Life, and the Middlesex London Food Policy Council. Food for the Future with Peggy O'Neill airs every Saturday at 830 on 980 CFPL and 980 CFPL.ca.